continue our worship in giving. We give, you know, in different ways these days. We don't pass the plate, but there's the box out in front or mail or electronic giving, but thank you for giving. But it's an act of worship. We give to the Lord from what he has given to us, a percent, a tithe of all that the Lord has given to us. So thank you for continuing to worship the Lord in this way. And the kids, the boxes are in the back. Since you don't have your Sunday school time, don't forget about that, activity boxes to keep your hands occupied while you're listening to God's word. Well, we're going to read from our a parable today. We're going through the parables this summer. And here, Matthew 18 verses 21 through the end of the chapter. So Matthew 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In the anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oh, may God add his insight and wisdom to the reading and the understanding of the word of God. Here's a couple, a British couple. Florence and Percy Aerosmith. They set a number of years ago the record for the longest married couple. They had been married for over 80 years. Isn't that amazing? And their combined age was 205. He, per, Percy was uh, 105 and Florence was 100. So they were the oldest married couple with the longest years. You know, and uh, Florence told, uh, they're from England, the BBC you know, we're blessed. We're very much in love. That's the most important part. And of course, you always ask, what's your secret? And you know, it came down to one word. You know what that word was? Sorry. Being able to say, I'm sorry. That's what they said was so important. Never go to sleep, you know, angry at each other. And then Percy said, when they asked Percy, what was your most important words? He said, yes, dear. But there was a second oldest married couple, Sven and Lena. And uh, Sven and Lena, they were very old as well, and Sven was dying. And he had suffered much in his life, and Lena had always been there. And this was a number of years ago. They had been married some 70 years, 
And Sven asked Lena, do you remember the horrible time in our, our village back in the 20s, you know, 100 years ago? And of course, I remember I was with you with that. Do you remember when the Nazis came through and beat us up, you know, beat me up? And were you there? Of course I was with you, Lena says. How about in the post-war economic struggles? And Lena says, I was there. How about when our kids went through some times of rebellion? Lena says, I was there. Were you there when the cancer treatments I had 10 years ago? Yep, I've always been there through everything. And Sven looks at Lena and says, I think you are bad luck. <laughs> but in the stories of life, the stories of life that can be funny, enduring, at times filled with pain, but in all these stories, God uses them to teach us things in life. Jesus uses these parables to teach us how we need to understand life in his kingdom. And we consider one of the parables here today, stories that have changed the world, these parables of Jesus. Parables that we've said speak of the king, Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the king of Israel, our king who trusts in him. And the king uses these stories to speak to the people so that we can understand they illustrate issues, principles of God's kingdom. Using these parables, stories that compare something we know and can relate with, with something about the kingdom of God, Jesus wisely and deftly helps us understand God's kingdom for our daily living. And here Jesus uses this specific story of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18 to teach us that we are to forgive, to forgive from our heart. We are to be ones who are willing and able to forgive. For it is through releasing, releasing, letting go, not retaining or holding on to, or even getting even, that the pains, heartaches, challenges, betrayals, and difficulties we encounter in life are dealt with. When we live out the kingdom of God life that Jesus is proclaiming to us, we find there's freedom in living through forgiveness. And that's what this parable is really teaching us, helping us understand today. So we're going to look at several things in it to really illustrate and, and expand it for our benefit and blessing. Well, first, looking up. We find there's freedom, freedom in looking up. The parable of the servant is found in the context of Peter's question to Jesus about forgiveness, specifically in 21 and 22. How many times should I forgive my brother in the community of faith? in the church, among the people. There's a brother who's offended me, and Peter says, how many times do I have to let it go? And what does he say? He says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? <laughs> but what does Jesus say? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Sin is to be addressed in the Christian community. And earlier in chapter 18, Jesus talks about the process, if there's sin in the church, to deal with it. But then he talks about how we as individuals are to release and let go, even sin against us. Peter takes the question as Jesus is addressing sin in the church. He says, okay, there's sin in the church, but how often do I have to do this, Lord? You know, once, twice, three times? If you forgive someone three times, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's really quite a thing. But Peter was being generous. So he says, well, even seven times. How about seven times, Jesus? There's got to be a limit on forgiveness, right? But as Jesus addresses him, he says, no, there's not a limit on it. Who among us wouldn't agree that seven times forgiving another person is a generous offer? If a fellow church 
churchgoer has a habit of gossiping about you. Or after he says something publicly to, that's wrong about you. Jesus, I'm getting tired of it. How many times do I have to allow that person to do it? I'm done with it. Seven times? That's, that's a lot. Humanly speaking, it's way beyond generous. I mean, most of us, we lose patience with somebody on the second and third time. But Jesus, we've been learning through these parables, he does the unexpected, doesn't he? He continues that here. He doesn't congratulate Peter, says seven times, that's really impressive. That's not what he does. He goes on to say, not seven times, but 77 times you're to forgive him. In other words, he's saying there's no limit to forgiveness. There's no limit on forgiveness. Forgiveness is what we do. It is a lifestyle for those who live in the kingdom of God. Now, in this answer that Jesus gives, we find Jesus taking the words from Genesis, Genesis 4, 24, a story of Lamech, Lamech, the descendant of Cain, the troubled one, who speaks about avenging Cain not seven times, but 77 times. He said, if someone does something against Cain, in other words, my family, I'll get them not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus takes that and reverses it, flips it, and says, we don't forgive seven times, but 77 times. It's a completely different understanding and mindset. It's not a get even. It's a let go, release, and trust in God. It's a forgive. Jesus' approach isn't revenge, it's forgiveness. Jesus' powered packed teaching here on forgiveness. We are to forgive our fellow believers as often as they seek forgiveness. There's no limits to that. That's one of those kingdom concepts. At this point, it's easy to think, yeah, right, okay, that can't be done. What's Jesus talking about? I'm shocked he's mentioning it. How could he say such things? And Jesus' followers had trouble with the very concept, Peter and the rest of the disciples, you, me. How do we understand this? And that's where the story of the parable comes in in this point. When Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, you think, well, that's not even possible, Jesus. And through to address this, Jesus brings the parable about the unmerciful servant, the story that helps us see God's way of living in the kingdom with how and what we experience here on earth. So it's a story of the unmerciful servant. And here's what he says in 23 and 25. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, God's kingdom is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or 10,000 talents, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, and his children, all he had, be sold to repay the debt. So the king's going to settle accounts with those who are owed. He says, okay, you have to pay. Now, we need to understand, 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents, is not just a little money, it's a lot of money. And not just a lot of money, it's a massive amounts of money. 10,000 talents is massive. It's what would happen. Here's maybe to put it in context. 200,000, that's a big number, right? Well, 10,000 talents for the average worker would be 200,000 years of work. That's how long you would have to work to earn 10,000 talents. You start seeing this. This isn't millions of dollars. This is billions of dollars. If you make $50,000 a year, you know how many years it takes you to make a billion dollars? 
it makes you it takes you 20,000 years i mean you know just and this is way more than that so it's billions of dollars so the whole idea of this big number is to help us understand the massive amount of debt that this servant owes to the king a debt that he can never repay there's no way he can pay it off he has no chance doesn't matter how hard he works how long he works it's outlandish this illustration it's laughable the debt in fact the debt he owes of 10,000 talents that's the amount that david had in the entire kingdom of, of the royal kingdom back in First Chronicles 29. David gives to the temple of God the whole treasure of gold and silver, which was 10,000 talents. In other words, the whole wealth of the nation of Israel, of the greatest king. Here, that amount is owed by one servant. So what does the king do? He says, okay, you're going to have to go into slavery because you can't pay this off. In verse 26, we see the servant realizes his desperate situation. He and his family are to be sold off into slavery. Sold off, never be a family again. They'd be separated. Never you see your children again, and they would be in slavery forever. So what does he do? He falls on his knees. At this, the servant fell on his knees before this, the master, the king, and says, be patient with me. He begged, I will pay everything back. In other words, I'll do it. Even though he can't, he's begging for time. And it's an absurd promise that he'd pay it back because he won't. And the king knows that. So what does the king do? The king has mercy on him. He takes pity, mercy on the servant, and releases him from the debt. What does it say? The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He canceled the debt. Let the servant go free. The king doesn't put him on a payment plan. The king doesn't say, okay, we'll give you some more time. The king doesn't say, okay, I'll take some of your assets and some of your things and then release the rest. No, he lets it all go. He releases 100%. He cancels a debt the size of a nation's wealth. This can't look good on the king's books, can it? You know, you might be able to pass a few thousand, even a million, but billions, that's going to leave a hole in your books. But the king has mercy on him. This man looks up to the king, and what does he see? He looks up and he sees mercy. He sees mercy and kindness. The man experiences forgiveness, the forgiving of all his debts. Think of the man's joy in his, this unexpected development, to looking up to the king and seeing the forgiveness that he has now received from this king. People, this is the same way that we need to understand when we look to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior we re and receive by faith his pardon, his forgiveness. He has released a great debt from us. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, one of the ways that in some translations is translated is forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, are who have owed us a debt. And that is because we owe a great debt to God, a debt of our life. But when we look up to God and by faith, he forgives us from all of our sins, from every debt. Just like this man with this outlandish sized debt to God, we have that to him. You might say, well, my debt, well, I would never run up billions of dollars of debt. But you know what, brothers and sisters? We've all sinned and rebelled from God. We fall short and we can't please God by our perfect lives because we are not perfect before holy God. We stand in need of mercy and forgiveness. We stand in need of the cross of Jesus Christ, that blood, that amazing blood. of. We owe a debt which is worth more than billions of dollars, that debt of forgiveness to God. 
You know, so when we look up to God and we see forgiveness, when we put our faith in him, we receive forgiveness. We have been forgiven a debt like this man, this servant, a debt we could never repay. And if you don't, haven't done that, today's the day to look up to God, receive his grace and receive his forgiveness and that debt will be canceled. God is the only place we can find that forgiveness, our grace and need, our soul's need that we can repent, believe, receive Jesus Christ. Through forgiveness, we can be changed and enter into his kingdom. How? By looking up to God and realizing the debt he has forgiven us. Well, that's an amazing story, but that's not the whole of it. He looked up and saw, found forgiveness and release. And then we see he was looking around. And in this credible story of forgiveness, Jesus has given us the opening drama and scene. But it has another part to it. A crucial part still to be made. For the servant leads the king's seat of mercy, heads off to find another man who owes him a debt. Well, this is going to be lovely, isn't it? But what happens? Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe, he demanded. The second man does the same thing. He begs for time. The second servant owes the first man thousands of dollars. Okay, it's a significant debt, but it's something that can be handled. It's something that can be paid back. It isn't unfathomable like the first. Be patient, I'll pay you back, the second servant says to the first. The second man, this other servant, is asking for a doable situation. You know, And he asks that he would respond just as the first servant got mercy before the king. You know, what we have here in this parable of unmerciful servant is one of the threats here is to be thrown into debtor's prison. And in the, in the biblical times and in up to even recent times, debtor prisons was a real thing. In other words, if you owed a certain debt and couldn't repay it, the other person could have you thrown into prison, a debtor's prison until it was paid. You know, in the United States, debtor's prison wasn't eliminated till 1833, while some states held it to even later. Now think about that. How dumb an idea is debtor's prison? If you owe somebody something, how are you going to pay it back if you're in prison and you can't work? How is this going to work? And we see it's just punishment and vindictiveness rather than resolving the issue. Well, this is what's going on. But now what do we have as we go on in this, in this thing, 29 and 30? What happens in the story? As the uh, second servant fell on his knees asking for time, what does the first servant do? He says, verse 30, but he refused. The first servant refused. Instead, he went off and had this man, the second man, thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. This man who had a great debt forgiven now has a small debt owed him. And instead of being like the, the king, the master, what does he do? He hauls this man off, says, you don't pay me back, you go into prison. He does the unexpected. It's a complete shock to our system. And he's, there's no mercy, no working with the second service. He was hard and fast, even though he had technically a legal right to do this. What mercy had received wouldn't he extend that? It's as if he had never looked up and received forgiveness. He 
acting like someone who has never received any grace or mercy in his life. That's how he's acting. Rather than he had a huge debt forgiven of him. He's looked around the world, and it's as he's never seen stars of the sky, as they don't exist, he, he never looked up to the Lord. He who had received a great mercy now looks at the world without it. What he is doing is grossly against the justice and the way of Christ, the way of life in the kingdom of God. And we can say it's a shocking response. No mercy, the first servant shows no mercy. It's a shocking response. No way you would develop this in a story. This can't happen. No one's going to do that. This is bizarre behavior in light of his experience. And yet, this is what he does. And from what happens to... Uh, some commentators said, this story is absurd. And they criticized the parable for being unrealistic. But you know, the stark reality is this is fairly typical behavior in our world. People who have received mercy and living without being merciful to others, as if I deserve mercy, others don't deserve mercy. Missing the whole meaning of grace that God gives us in life, that God has given us grace and we can extend grace to others. And as we hear the story, we're repulsed by the action of the servant. How could he do this to another man after he's a recipient of such a kind of kindness? I would never act like that, we protest. Yet I submit, and I think Jesus is trying to say, we're not that far removed from the first servant. In fact, we may be like him in some of our actions. If we've confessed our sins to Christ, repented of them, received his forgiveness, and a measurable debt release, what about us? Have we ever not forgiven someone who has sinned against us? Have you ever held on to bitterness and anger? Have you ever held on to that debt that someone owes you, not letting go? If we have, we're a bit like that first servant. Pastor, you might protest. You don't know the evil and the horrible things that have been done to me. You're right. I don't. But I do know the mercy you have received through Jesus Christ. And it's far greater and more significant than anything that is owed you. And that's the key point for us. Do we comprehend the debt that is, we have been forgiven through Christ? And then to see others' debt in light of what Jesus Christ has done to us. Mercy we have received is not getting what we deserve. We deserve, what do we deserve but separation from God through our sins. But praise God, we don't receive that because of the grace and mercy we have received. The key point is we need to look up and see Jesus. And then in light of that, look around and see others in light of the mercy that I have received through Jesus Christ. Jesus uses this story and the absurdity of it to teach us a key and important point that we can forgive. We can forgive even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when we have been hurt, we can forgive each other. To see our debt in light of Jesus' mercy to us, that's an important point. That's what Jesus is getting at with this story of the man, the great debt and the smaller debt. We always are be aware of the debt we have been forgiven. So we interact with others based on that. The third thing is we looking up, looking around, looking within. Jesus leads us to look within our own hearts about how we live out the implication of his message. In verse 31, what happens? The other servants 
observe and react to what takes place. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Because like us, they're outraged by the actions of this servant. And so they tell the king. And understand, they understood the forgiveness of the king and the mercy that this first servant had received. They tell the king and inform him. And the king master acts in the situation by calling the first servant back into his inner chainer. And this time, his interaction with this first servant is different. There's no extenuating circumstances, no room to explain. What do we see in verse 32 and verse 33? The master called the servant in, and he says, You wicked servant, I canceled all the dead ears because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Shouldn't you? You have received mercy. Shouldn't you be extending mercy? And we look at this, the obvious answer is, of course. Yes, all of us agree with that. He should have extended mercy. And the king doesn't extend mercy a second time. The second time the man appears before the king, he is no longer going to be a recipient of mercy, but he's going to be a recipient of judgment. And it continues on. Jesus doesn't leave it there. He says, mercy gives way to judgment if the unmerciful if we are unmerciful to others. Mercy will give way to judgment. What do we see in verse 35? Verse 35. Well, we should read 34 and 35. Verse 34, it says, In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And Jesus isn't done yet. He interjects this statement as the king sends this man into uh, the chamber, into prison, and even to be tortured because of what he had done and what he owed. We see that Jesus says, be aware. Be aware, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And all of a sudden, we have a most shocking development. We have grace for those who have received Jesus' wonderful message. Judgment for those who resist and reject God's. But we have the warning that we, Jesus, is serious about how we live out the kingdom life here on earth. Jesus takes the story to our life. This is how it will be for you if you don't forgive others from your heart. We must forgive as God has forgiven us. We must forgive for forgiveness frees us from being stuck in the past forgiveness is what god offers us and forgiveness is what he demands from us to give to others we must be willing to let go and release and entrust to god for in forgiveness we release it to god it doesn't it doesn't mean that thing has never happened but forgiveness is releasing to god letting god take care of the situation and rectifying it and for us not to be burdened by it and in it, we find freedom. There's forgiveness. There's freedom in forgiveness. We're free from the burdens of all this brings. Jesus wants us to be those who, have, who are those who have been forgiven, to forgive as we have been forgiven. And in it, we find freedom. This is for our benefit, our blessing. How do we forgive? If you think about your life, how do you forgive? As I was going through this, this 
passage again this week, I took time and said, Lord, anyone who has sinned against me, I forgive them. When you look at this, you say, I have to let it go. Lord, how can I hold on to that with what you have done for me? This is what God has called us to do. Forgive from deep within our souls, from our heart, from the depths of our being. Not partial forgiveness, not semi-release, but to release it, to open our hands to God and give it to him, to forgive completely. Otherwise, if I don't, verse 35 might as well say, this is how the Heavenly Father will treat you, Dan Thompson, unless you, Dan Thompson, forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. And I, want to, I want, don't want this kind of treatment. I want to be like God in the sense of following in his ways, to forgive as he has forgiven us. For forgiven people forgive one another. If you're forgiven, if you've been forgiven, God's way in his kingdom is to forgive others. As we have been forgiven, we are to forgive other people. Maybe a, a tremendous example of this, it was about five years ago in Egypt, in the Coptic church, as they were celebrating uh, Palm Sunday. You know, in the church, they, uh, they were having a big celebration. And unfortunately, there's always terrorists and people who want to disrupt. And there was a... Um, a uh, suicide bomber who approached the church wearing a bomb vest covered over with a heavy jacket. And the church is there, they have to have metal detectors to try to keep these people out. And in this evil, this man who had this bomb, Fahim, a church member who was on the security team, directed him to the metal detector for the entrance. Well, this man would be found out. So at this time, what does a man do? He detonated the device, killing Fahim and some others, but saving dozens if not hundreds of members inside the church if he would have gotten in. And several, year, several weeks after this took place, Fahim's wife was on a talk show host, the most prominent talk show host in Egypt. And Amir Adid was discussing the bombing. And this is what he said. He asked her, Fahim's wife, and she says, I'm not angry at the one who did this. I forgive him because God forgives him as God has forgiven us. Isn't that amazing? In a period of several weeks, she forgave this person. And the talk show horse, Amid, was silent for 12 seconds, saying, I don't know how you can do that. For in the Middle East culture of honor and shame, it demands revenge. And he says, I couldn't have done this, but she forgave the man who did this. She was living out this parable. She knew she had been forgiven, and she was forgiving even someone who took her own husband's life. For we have received great mercy, so we have a great reward. Forgiven people forgive others. That's what God has for us. To be unlike the servant, to not be like the servant, to be those who forgive, to forgive, to release it to God, let it go, to give it to God because he has forgiven us great much. So let us be those who forgive and release one another to find that freedom from the destructive power of bitterness and unforgiveness, free from the lasting effects of others, free to let God do his work, free to eternal life in the kingdom of God. How is that? By forgiveness. Forgiving because God has forgiven us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have forgiven us a debt beyond anything we can imagine. Lord, thank you for that forgiveness. 
And Lord, as we have that in our minds, may we live lives where we forgive others. That we would never live like this unmerciful servant. But that, Lord, as forgiven people, we forgive others. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.